Hey, we are coming out of the kitchen in Cass Barn. Yep, that's what we're doing. And it's raining, so we're going to hear that. Thank you, Lord, for giving us rain. We so sorely need it. I know you won't give us enough, but thank you for what you give us. We appreciate it. Today is Sunday, July 17th, 2022. I went to Springfield today to interview a young candidate for the 134th Missouri Congressional District and just such an outstanding person. I told her, I said, you know, we don't have anybody in my district running for office. If you need me to volunteer to help you, I'll volunteer to help you because I don't have anybody in my district that I can stand up to volunteer. Anyway, big rain, big raindrops. Anyway, I'm I am just like everybody else that I know is just a little peeved, a little upset, okay, angry, mad about this Supreme Court ruling regarding abortion, women's health care. Let's call it what it is. It's women's health care. Um, and then I saw on social media this little thing and I shared it I shared it on social media I was like oh my gosh so I shared it but there was an article in Sunday's paper uh, Sun that's Springfield News Leader Sunday paper July 16 2022 by Susan oh sweetheart I'm gonna butcher your name S Z U C H Sush Susan wrote this article and I'm just gonna read it because I don't want to you know steal her work so I'm giving her credit for it it's in the Springfield News Leader page 2 if you can imagine that can you imagine that yeah we all can okay here we go she writes in Missouri the law requires that a petition for divorce list a handful of things including whether the wife is pregnant that's not so unusual, but with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, claims have been circulating on social media that a divorce can't be finalized while one party is pregnant. The news leader spoke with Doug, Fe sorry, Doug, Doug Frederick, a lawyer who specializes in family law, for clarification on the situation. Can a divorce? be finalized in Missouri if one party is pregnant? The short answer is no. Quote, if you have a child who is born during the marriage, you need to ascertain the paternity and most likely the custody arrangement for that child, end quote. Frederick said, quote, while you can't just leave that child hanging in a lurch without a determined father, or any kind of custodial arrangement, end quote. In order to establish paternity, someone's legal status as a parent of a child, the child has to be present. You can't do a paternity case without the child. Technically, the child is a party to the case in a paternity case, Frederick said. Quote, you appoint a next friend to determine the best interest of the child but the laws do not allow for paternity to be established for an unborn child end quote 
Even if the paternity claims are not in question, the court cannot determine custodial arrangements without the child. It's a fetus. It's not a child, but it's a fetus. Anyway, that's just my commentary. That's not Springfield News Later. Back to Springfield News Later. Does the court make exceptions in the case of abuse? Because, mmm, yeah, that's, yeah, no. The court still cannot grant a divorce if a child is not born. But, quote, there are quite a few avenues or methods for an abused woman to be protected until the baby is born, end quote. Quote, they can file the divorce. They can get a temporary restraining order if it's an abusive situation. They can get what's called an adult abuse order of protection. They can obtain that, end quote, Frederick said. Quote, if there's a crime that's been committed, they can contact police and have criminal charges brought. And as part of a criminal case, most likely, the bond conditions would include no contact with the victim, end quote. The Missouri Court's website offers a list of resources on their websites as well, outlining options and statutes that define domestic violence and stalking. In Greene County, the Victim Center and Harmony House share a 24-7 hotline, 417-864-72, where victims of abuse can call for guidance and help. So, yeah, pretty much you're fucked. Sorry, language. It's a hot topic issue. I get to swear. I went and interviewed a lovely young candidate for who's running for office in Missouri. And we were discussing things, and I said, you know, I'm a single mom. And with my second child, I wanted to put him up for adoption. I seriously did because I already had a child and I felt like knowing what I knew, raising one child on my own, that this child, well, even my current child deserved a full life family. But... I wanted to put him up for adoption, so I reached out to the father. It wasn't a, a fling. We had a two-year relationship. Um, I reached out to him, and I said, Hey, I want to put the child up for adoption. He wanted abortion. I said, I can't do that. I want him, and, and there's reasons for that. There's nothing against any woman that needs to go the abortion route. There's reasons why... I said, I can't do that. I said, I just want to put the child up for adoption. And he said, no. He said, I need you to sign off on it. And he said, no. So, as I was telling this to this young candidate, I thought, you know, I should probably go home and really... That was, you know, 20 plus years ago. I should look this up and make sure that I was not speaking out of turn. So I did a little search, something you couldn't do 20 plus years ago. I did a little search on my phone and pulled up, can you put your child up for adoption without the father's consent? The quick answer is no, you cannot. But in searching it, 
I came across this. I have never heard of this before in my life, and I'm sure none of you have either. I hope you write this down. Punitive Father Registry. It's on Wikipedia. You can look it up yourself. It's a thing. In the United States of America, this is according to Wikipedia, so I guess, quote, in the United States of America, the Punitive Father Registry is a state-level legal option for unmarried men to document through a notary public any woman they engage with in intercourse for the purpose of retaining parental rights for any child that they may father. Who the fuck would have even thought of something like this? I mean, are you serious? It's like, wow, I'm a man. I like to fuck the babes. But just in case one of them gets pregnant and I kind of like her DNA and I want that child, yeah, I'm going to notarize her so that I can get the baby. I flipped me out. Okay, so under the about, under this Wikipedia, it says, In the United States, punitive followers... Punitive fathers will be notified when actions to terminate their parental rights as part of an adoption proceedings are filed for a child they may have fathered and registered for. Non-marital fathers are not guaranteed notice of an adoption or any rights in contesting the decision by the mother, nor are they guaranteed the the ability to adopt or gain. What? Non-marital, non-marital fathers are not guaranteed notice of an adoption. Well, why did you sign up if you're not guaranteed? I thought that's why you did. Okay, let's just keep reading here. Non-marital fathers are not guaranteed notice of an adoption or any rights in contesting the decision by the mother, nor are they guaranteed the ability to adopt or gain custody of the child. This has generated controversy due to the fact that the same unwed fathers are held 100% responsible financially for the children they father inside or outside of marriage by DNA with the same financial responsibilities of any married father with the same financial responsibilities any married father would be held to. However, The unmarried fathers have no right to custody, visitation, or to oppose the adoption of their children, only the obligation to support them financially and the penalty of prison time if they fail to do this. Typically, the father is only guaranteed notification and the right to appear in court to testify about their child's best interest when he has registered timely Registering timely with a state's punitive father registry supposedly guarantees notice. Though there have been documented instances where that wasn't true. Timely legal establishment of paternity typically guarantees notice and an opportunity to be heard and may confer rights to consent or withhold consent to adoption prenatal support of the mother and fetus assures recognition of parental rights in 34 states. I wonder what 34 states. I'm sure Missouri's in there. 
There is no federal law in place regulating punitive father's registries among all signatory countries only the United only the United States refuses to ratify the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Ooh, I'm going to have to check on that. I'm going to have to click on that. Okay, only the United States refuses to ratify the Convention on the Rights of the Child and registries are not regulated under the UN Charter. Currently, 33 states in the U.S. have punitive father registries. The number of children adopted without consent or notice to the biological father under the registry program started in the 1970s is unknown. 1970s. Guess what happened in the 1970s? 1972. Women could get a loan without their father, husband, brother, uncle's permission. 1973, Roe v. Wade, women could get female health care without the consent of some male in her life. But anyway, we're moving on. State punitive father registries are intended to protect the non-marital father from fraud by providing him with a legal notice of a planned adoption of a child provided he registers within a limited time frame, usually any time prior to the birth or from 1 to 31 days after the birth. Lack of knowledge of the pregnancy or birth is not an acceptable reason for failure to file. Fraud by the birth mother typically does extend the father's time to register. Wow, got to get that mom for fraud. Some states require a punitive father to file with multiple states, i.e., the state possible. Okay. Some states require a punitive father to file with multiple states, i.e., with the state possible contraceptive might have occurred, state of residence, if different, and possible states the female might visit or relocate to after the possible conception date that also have punitive father registries or relocate to or relocate to after the possible conception date that also have punitive father registries to be valid at least one state requires a parent or guardian of the declarant to also sign when a minor under the age of 18 is documenting intercourse with a punitive father registry. What? To be valid at least one state requires to be valid at least one state requires a parent or guardian guardian of the declarant to also sign when a minor under the age of 18 is documenting intercourse with Thought you wasn't supposed to have intercourse with somebody under the age of 18. Hmm. 17 states. Here they are. Alaska, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Hawaii, Kentucky, Maine, 
Maryland, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, North Carolina, North Dakota, Rhode Island, South Dakota, Washington, West Virginia, as well as America, Samoa, District of Columbia, Guam, Northern Marina Islands, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands do not have punitive father registries. Holy fuck, Missouri does. Can you imagine Missouri having one of those? Yeah, I can. They just passed a law for free rape and incest, so why not? Let's see. Punitive father registries are not always called such by individual states. Other names for registries include paternal registry, centralized paternal registry, interstate adoption punitive father registry, parent claim registrar, father's adoption registry, biological father registry, punitive father inclusion, responsible father registry. Oh, well, isn't that, let's look under, and then I click this, see other also's. Let's look at father's right movement in the United States of America. That ought to be interesting. Let's click on that. The Father's Right Movement in the United States is a group uh, that provides fathers with education, support, and advocacy on family law, issues of child custody, access, child support, domestic violence, and child abuse. Members protest that they see as evidence of gender bias against fathers in the branches and departments of various governments, including the family courts. The movement traces its roots to divorce and alimony controversies in the 1960s. Whoa. Today, the modern father's right movement generally focuses on issues regarding shared parenting while providing support and public awareness for fathers and children after divorce or separation. Different fathers' rights Organizations may also advocate for non-married fathers' rights through lobbying efforts. Whoa, we're, they get a lobby. They get a lobbyer. Okay. Or news media outlets. Other advocacy topics include gender bias, both culturally and from within the legal system, visitation, adoption, maternal gatekeeping, and paternal alienation. Let's look at the history. The modern father's rights movement in U.S. emerged with the founding of Divorce Racket Busters in California in 1960 to protest California's divorce laws, which they claimed discriminated against men in alimony, child support settlements, and in the presumption of maternal custody. The group expanded to other states, changing its name to Divorce Reform in 1961. With the increase in divorce rates in the 1960s and 70s, more local grassroots men's organizations grew up devoted to divorce reform. By the 1980s, there were a total of more than 200 fathers' rights groups active in almost every state. These groups focused their action on what they viewed as gender discrimination in family law, 
by engaging in political activities such as lobbying state legislators. Oh my. Filing class action suits, picketing courthouses, and monitoring judges' decisions through court watches, quote-unquote. The 1990s saw the emergence of a new and larger organization such as National Fatherhood Initiative and the American Fathers Coalition. Several unsuccessful efforts were made to found a national organization to which local organizations could belong. As a result, the the movement remains mainly a loose coalition of local groups. Weirdos. Gender bias, sexism, shared parenting, visitation. Okay, we're. To, I'm just. I'm just clicking through. If you, because this is a spur of the moment kind of podcast. It's not something that I had been researching for. But with the row thing and the discussion I had today with the politician, I thought, you know, I need to look into this some more. So that's what I'm doing. Let's click on men's rights. Oh, and then we've got. Paternity fraud. Okay, men's rights movement. The men's rights movement, MRM, they have an acronym, is a branch of the men's movement. The MRM, in particular, consists of a variety of groups and individual men's rights activists, or MRAs, who focus on general social issues and specific government services which adversely impact or in some cases structurally discriminate against men and boys. Wow. Common topics discussed within the men's right movement include family law such as child custody, alimony, and marital property distribution, reproduction, suicides, domestic violence against men, circumcision, education, Constription, constription, I don't know what that is, constription, social safety nets, and health policies. The men's rights movement branched off from the men's liberation movement in the early 1970s, with both groups comprising a part of the larger men's movement. Many scholars describe the movement or parts of it as a backlash against feminism. Go figure. As part of the mansphere, manosphere, manosphere, it's manosphere. The movement, the sectors of the movement have been described by scholars and commentators as misogynistic. Oh, I can't say this word. Misogynistic. Misogynistic hateful, and in some cases as advocating violence against women. In 2018, the Southern Poverty Law Center categorized some men's rights groups as being part of a hate ideology under the umbrella of male supremacy, while stating that others focused on legitimate grievances. The term men's rights was used at least as early as February 1856. Wow. When it appeared in Putnam's Magazine, the author was responding to the issue 
of women's rights, calling it a, quote, new movement for social reform and event for political revolution, end quote, which the author proposed to counter with men's rights. Ernest Belfort Bax, B-A-X, wrote, The legal subjection of men in 1896, deriding the women's rights movement as a farcical effort by women, the, quote, privileged sex, end quote, to prove they were, quote, oppressed, end quote. Three loosely connected men's rights organizations formed in Austria, oh, in the interwar period. The League for Men... The League for Men's Rights was founded in 1926 with the goal of, quote, combating all accesses of women's emancipation, end quote. In 1927, the Justilia League for Family Law Reform and the, oh, I can't say that word, Aquitas, A-E-Q-U-I-T-A-S, World's League for the Rights of Men split from the League of Men's Rights. The three men's, men's rights group opposed women's entry into the labor market and what they saw as a corrosion of influence of the women's movement on social and legal institutions. They criticized marriage and family laws especially the requirement to pay spousal and child support to former wives and illegitimate children, and supported the use of blood tests to determine paternity. Jacita, J-U-S-T-I-T-I-A, Jacita, and that A-E-Q-I-E-T-A-S, issued their own short-lived journals, men's, rightists, newspaper, and self-defense. That's what it was called. Where they expressed their views that were heavily influenced by the works of Henrik Schurz. Schurz. S-C-H-U-R-T-Z. Good grief. Otto Weininger. W-E-I-N-I-N-G-E-R. And this is a name that's just, it's just like J-O... R. G. Lands von L. E. I. L. I. E. B. E. N. F. E. L. S. Whatever that is. The organizations ceased to exist before 1939. The modern men's rights movement emerged from the men's liberation from which appeared in the first half of 1970s when scholars begin to study feminist ideas and politics. The men's liberation movement acknowledged men's institutionalized power while critically examining the consequences of Jesus, Lord have mercy, hegemonic, H-E-G-E-M-O-N-I-C, masculinity. Hegemonic masculinity? I don't know. Believing that both men and women suffered in a 
patriarchal society in the late 1970s. This movement split into two separate strands with opposing views. The pro-feminist men's movement and the anti-feminist men's rights movement. Ooh. Kind of like Antifa. You say Antifa like it's a nasty word, but it's anti-fascist, which is a good word. Anyway, back to this. Sorry. Let's see. And the anti-feminist men's rights movement, which sees men as an oppressed group. A major concern... Okay, let's just back up. Okay. Two separate strands with opposing views. The pro-feminist men's movement and the anti-feminist men's rights movement, which sees men as an oppressed group. A major concern of the men's rights movement has been the issue of father's rights in the 1980s and 1990s. Yep, there you go. That little son of mine. Um, in, the 18, in the 1980s and the 1990s, men's rights activists opposed societal changes sought by feminists and defended the patriarchal gender order in the family schools and the workplace. In the family schools and the workplace. Sociologist Michael Kimmel states that their earlier critiques of gender morals, quote, morphed into a celebration of all things masculine and in a near infatuation with the traditional masculine role itself, in quote. This is all under Wikipedia. Y'all can look it up yourself if you don't believe me. Um, one of the first major men's rights organizations was a coalition of American divorce reforms elements founded by Richard Doyle in 1971, from which the Men's Rights Association spun off in 1973. Free Men, Inc. was founded in 1977 in Columbia, Maryland spawning several chapters over the following years, which eventually merged to form the National Coalition of Free Men. Wow. Known in 2008 as the National Coalition for Men. Men's Right, Inc. was also formed in 1977. The National Organization for Men was founded in 1983. Holy crap. And Fathers and Families was formed in 1994. Ugh. In the United Kingdom, a men's rights group calling itself UK Men's Movement began to organize in the early 1990s. The, the Save Indian Family Foundation, SIF, was founded in 2005 and in 2010 claimed to have over 30,000 members. I'm going to have to come back and click on that one, find out what's going down there. Men's rights groups have formed in some European countries during periods of shifts toward conservatism and policies supporting the patriarchal family and gender relations. In the United States, the men's right movement has ideological ties to neoconservatism. Let's just click on that. Neoconservatism. And then I'll come back. Because we got a whole lot more. 
Neoconservatism is a political movement that was born in the United States during the 1960s among... What the heck? There ain't no way that ain't right. Oh, fuck. I'm going to read it. Neoconservatism is a political movement that was born in the United States during the 1960s among liberal hawks who became disenchanted with the increasing, increasingly pacifist foreign policy of, Demo of the Democrat Party and with the growing new left and counterculture of the 1960s particularly the Vietnam protest. Some also began to question their liberal beliefs regarding domestic policies such as great society. Hmm. Neoconservatives typically advocate the promotion of democracy and intervent interventionism in international affairs, including peace through strength, and are known for espousing disdain for communism and political radicalism. Prominent neoconservatives in the George W. Bush administration included Paul Wolfowitz, W-O-L-F-O-W-I-T-Z, Elliot Abrams, Richard Pearl, and Paul Bremer, while not identifying as neoconservatives, senior officials Vice President Dick Cheney and Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld listened closely to neoconservative advisors regarding foreign policy, especially the defense of Israel and promotion of American influence in the Middle East. Many of its adherents became politically influ influential during the Republican presidential administrations of the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, and 2000s, peaking in influence during the administration of George W. Bush, when they played a major role in promoting and planning the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Critics of neoconservatism have used the term to describe foreign policy and war hawks who support aggressive militarism or neo-imperialism. Historically speaking, the term neoconservative refers to those who made the ideological journey from the anti-Stalinist left to the camp of American conservatism during the 1960s and 1970s. The movement had its in intellectual roots in the magazine commentary edited by Norman Podhortz P-O-D-H-O-R-E-T-Z they spoke out against the new left and in that way helped define the movement so that's neoconservatism Going back to men's rights activists have received lobbying support from conservative organization and their arguments have been com covered extensively in the neoconservative media. Fringe political parties focusing on men's rights have been formed including but not limited to the Australian 
non-custodial parents party, parentheses, equal parenting, in parentheses, the Israeli man's rights in the family party, and the Justice for Men's and Boys Party in the UK. Online Activism The men's right movement had become more vocal and more organized since the development of the Internet, where activists tend to congregate. Men's rights websites and forums have proliferated within the online manosphere. Paul Elam's site, A Voice for Men, parentheses, acronym here, A-V-F-M, in parentheses, functions as a central point of discussion and organization for men's rights issues. Other sites dedicated to men's rights are the Father's Rights Foundation, MGTOW.com, Men's Going Their Own Way. That's what that one, that's the acronym for that. Um, and several Reddit forums such as backslash r backslash men's rights and backslash r backslash the red pill. Ooh. Men's rights proponents often use the red pill and the blue pill metaphor in the film from The Matrix to identify each other online. Those who accept the idea that men are the oppressed victims of a misandrist M-I-S-A-N-D-R-I-S-T, Misandrous Society, are said to have, quote, taken the red pill, end quote. While some of the groups have adversarial relationships with one another, they tend to be united in their misogyny, promotions of masculinity, and oppression to feminism. Anti-feminism. This is the title of this Okay, many scholars consider men's rights movements a backlash or counter-movement to feminism. The men's rights movement generally incorporates points of view that reject feminists and pro-feminist ideas. Men's rights activists say feminism has radicalized its objective and harmed men. Men's rights activists believe that men are victims of feminism and feminizing influences in society and that entities such as public institutions now discriminate against men. Oh, wah, wah. Men's rights activists dispute that men as a group have institutional power and privilege and believe that men are victimized and disadvantaged relative to women, including in regard to what had been considered feminist concerns such as domestic violence, pornography, pro prostitution, and sexism in the mass media. Men's rights groups generally reject the notion, the notion that feminism is interested in men's problems. And some men's rights activists have viewed the, move, the women's movement as a plot to deliberately conceal discrimination against men and promote what the fuck gynocentrism g-y-n-o-c-e-n-t-r-i-s-m gynocentrism Warren Farrell and 
Herb Goldberg have argued that women hold the true power in society through their roles as the primary caregivers of children and that male power is an illusion. Sociologist Mike Messenger states that early men's rights movements, quote, appropriates the systemical language of sex roles, end quote, first used by feminists, which implies a false balance of institutional power between men and women. Masculinities scholar Jonathan A. Allen, wow, masculinity scholar, that's a title, he described the men's rights movement as a reaction, a reactionary movement that is defined by its opposition to women and feminism but has not yet formulated its own theories and methodologies outside of anti-feminism. There's so much more here to read, but I've got to go out and fill some stock tanks. So I'm just going to stop here, walk the dogs, fill the stock tanks, and I can't believe I'm on this topic tonight when all I was doing was fact-checking something. We'll get back to that, too.
Okay, so I had to go out and water the cows and walk the dogs so that they could do their bathroom duty. And now Duchess is in here and she's, you hear that? She's chomping on her dog food. Sorry. Anyway, so we were talking about this thing that I stumbled upon and then we've got, um, I'm going to start with prominent men's rights activists. Most men's rights activists in the United States are white, middle-class, heterosexual men. Prominent advocates include Warren Farrell, Herb Goldberg, and Richard Doyle, and Asa Babber. Several women have emerged as leading voices of the MRM, Men's Equal Rights, but I don't know, I can't remember. Um, several women have emerged as leading voices of the MRM, including Helen Smith, Christina Hoff Summers, Christina Hoff Summers, and Aaron Pizzy, P-I-Z-Z-E-Y, Pizzy. Karen DeCrow. Uh, Karen DeCrow was an American attorney, author, and activist and feminist who served as the president of the NOW, which is Na National Organization for Women from 1974 to 1977. She's also a strong supporter of equal rights for men in child custody decisions, arguing for a reputable presumption of shared custody after divorce. She also asserted that men, as well as women, should be allowed the decision not to become a parent and was an avid supporter of fathers' rights movements and argued that domestic violence is a two-way street. As a result, DeCrow, DeCrow, D-E-C-R-O-W, DeCrow, found she was increasing, quote, increasingly, increasingly at odds with the organization she had once led, though she never broke with it, end quote. Mark Angelucci, A-N-G-E-L-U-C-C-I-E, -E. no, there's no E on the end, A-N-G-E-L-U-C-C-I, Mark was an American attorney, men's rights activist, and the vice president of the National Coalition for Men, NCFM, acronym. As a lawyer, he represented several cases related to men's rights issues, most prominently the National Coalition for Men v. Selective Service System, in which the federal judge declared the male-only selective service system unconstitutional, and Woods v. Horton, which ruled that the California State Legislature had unconstitutionally excluded men from domestic violence victim program, uh, per, excluded men from domestic violence victim protection programs. Warren Farrell. Warren Farrell is an American educator, activist, and author of seven books on men's and women's issues. 
Farrell initially came into prominence in the 1970s as a supporter of the second wave feminism. He served on the New York City Board of the National Organization for Women, NOW, acronym, generally considered the, quote, father of men's rights movement, end quote. Farrell advocates for, quote, a gender liberation movement with, quote, both sexes walking a mile in each other's moccasins, end quote. Herb Goldberg was an author of the book, What Men Still Don't Know About Women, Relationships and Love, The Hazards of Being Male, Surviving the Myth of Masculine Privilege, 1975. I think if you're going to write a book and you have to have a title that's a chapter and verse like that one, there's a problem, but I'm not sure because I haven't read the book. Okay, and the other book he wrote was What Men Really Want and Men's Secrets Related to the Formative Men's Movement. He was a professor. You know, if I had finished college, I would know how to say this word. E-M-E-R-I-T-U-S. what Whatever. You know, I spelled it out for you. He was that word of psychology at California State University, Los Angeles, and a practicing psychologist in Los Angeles. Aaron Pizzi, P-I-Z-Z-E-Y. Aaron is an English men's rights advocate, domestic, advu- domestic abuse advocate, and ex-feminist. She's most noted for her controversial controversial theory that most domestic violence between men and women is mutual and reciprocated. Peasy started the largest domestic violence shelter in England in 1971, now known as Refuge, from which she is now banned. Peasy, what? She's banned? Okay, moving on. Peasy was... Peasy has released two notable works, Scream Quietly or the Neighbors Scream Quietly or the Neighbors Will Hear and Prone to Violence. So, moving on, many authors have characterized the men's rights movement as misogynistic and the Southern Poverty Law Center has stated that while some of the websites, blogs, and forums related to the movement, quote, voice legitimate legitimate and sometimes disturbing complaints about the treatment of men, what is most remarkable is the misogynistic, misogynistic tone that pervades so many, end quote. After further research, after further research into the movement, the SPLC elaborated, quote, a thinly veiled desire for the denomination of women and a conviction that the current system oppresses men in favor of women are the unifying tenets of the male supremacist world view, end quote. Other studies have have pointed toward 
men's rights groups in India trying to change or completely abolish important legal protections for women as a form of, quote, patriarchal anxiety, end quote, as well as being hostile towards women, the venue for the first men's rights conference in the U.S. received death threats, calls, and demonstrations forcing the organizers to raise funds for extra security and eventually change the venue. Professor Ruth M. Mann of the University of Windsor, Windsor in Canada suggests that men's rights groups fuel an international rhetoric of hatred and victimization by disseminating disseminating misinformation via online forums and websites containing constantly updated, quote, diatribes against feminism, ex-wives, child support, shelters, and the family law and the criminal justice systems, end quote. According to Mann, these stories reignite their hatred and reinforce their beliefs that the system is biased against men and, the, and that feminism is responsible for large-scale and ongoing, quote, cover-up, end quote, of men's victimization. Mann says that although existing legislation in Canada acknowledges that men were also victims of domestic violence, men's rights advocates demand government recognition that men are equally more victimized by domestic violence claims not supported by the debt by the data. Mann also states that in contrast to feminist groups who have ad advocated for domestic violence services on behalf of other historically oppressed groups in addition to women such as individuals impacted by poverty, ethnicity, sorry, um, disability, sexual orientation, etc., men's rights groups have attempted to achieve their goal by actively opposing and attempting to dismantle services and supports put in place to protect abused women and children. Other researchers, other researchers such as Michael Flood have accused the men's rights movement, particularly the father's rights group in Australia, of endangering women, children, and even men who are at great risk of, of, of abuse and violence. Flood states, Michael Flood, Michael Flood states that the Men's Rights, Father's Rights group in Australia peruse, quote, equality with a vengeance, end quote, end quote or equal policies with negative outcomes and motives in order to reestablish paternity authority over the well-being of children and women, as well as positive parenting. Okay, I don't know. Anyway, I'm getting tired, so I'm going to have to quit. But um, I have to go back to my original page on... Can you put a child up for adoption? Because we got off course on this punitive father registry, which is, pff, 
I'm going to, I've got several attorneys that are, you know, that I can just, I'm just going to ask them about this tomorrow and see if I can't get some kind of answer about that because, wow, oh, Illinois has their own page for it. Um, hmm. You know, if you just, oh, Arkansas. The Arkansas Department of Health maintains the punitive father registry. The purpose of the registry is to allow an unmarried father of a born or unborn child to register his name so he will be notified before the child is placed for adoption. The father does not have to be listed on the birth certificate. Oh, fuck. The father does not have to be listed on the birth certificate to register. Wow. Wow. Indiana. If you pay $16, you can search, you can search their punitive father registry. Just give them $16 and you can see all the fathers that signed up for that. Uh, Virginia Birth Father Registry is a confidential database maintained by the Virginia Department of Social Services that protects the rights of unmarried men and their relatives to children they may have unknowingly fathered by voluntarily registering with the Virginia Birth Father Registry, which is acronym VBFR I'm just going to have to this 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 podcast going okay maintained by the rights of unmarried men and the wrote to children they may have unknowingly fathered by voluntarily registering with VBFR Within 10 days after a child's birth, a punitive father can protect his rights to his children and be notified in the event that the child is placed for adoption or placed into foster care. VBFR does not establish paternity. Registration may be used to help establish paternity, but does not start the legal process. What the fuck? This is fucked up. Women, y'all gotta get your your heads out of your asses because, you know, back in 1920, women fought like hell. They got, they got beat, they got jailed, they got raped, they got starved because they fought just for the right to vote in the United States of America. And then they fought for equal rights, and we still don't have them. We still don't have equal rights. But look at all this. I've just spent like an hour reading to you about men's rights. Women don't have equal rights. Girl, get off your fucking ass. We gotta get up on this. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Mm hmm. I'm just. I'm tanked over this. So. I have to stay focused. I have two more podcasts to uh, edit. 
that I want to get this one edited and up as quick as I can because shit's hitting the fan. Ten-year-old girl had to go to Indiana to get an abortion. A ten-year-old incest-raped girl had to go to Indiana. And now there's this big war about, well, did you, uh, did you notify the authorities she was raped? Did you do this? Did you do that? Fuck, a 10-year-old baby child girl raped, impregnated. And that's what you're concerned about? This is disgusting. This is so flipping disgusting. Okay, i got to stop because I'm just getting hot under the collar. And I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and wrap up this podcast and put it up. I know that I have a lot more veins on this topic that I need to explore now and I will try to fit that in. Cooking politics is getting really rough right now because you know we're heading to the primaries in less than two weeks and um, then we'll head into the general election so I want to focus some quite a bit on that. I want to focus quite a bit on that. Let's just be honest. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up and put it up. And then I will, I promise you, I'll start researching and figure this thing out. It's just, who knew? (laughs) Who knew? I mean, we all knew that they had these men's clubs, like the Catholics have the Knights of Columbus and, you know, these other men's groups that it's men's only. So why wouldn't we figure out that they're just trying to control our bodies? (laughs) But, um... All right. And it's really sick. It's really sick and sad to say that. When you stop and think about it, these men's groups are trying to control our bodies. At the same time, most of them are married. All of them have a mother. And a lot of them have female children. And yet, they can go to these secret societies and plot to control women's bodies it just confounds me I'm just overwhelmed with that um I apologize there's some f-bombs in here there's some cussing and I want to apologize but I was pretty angry about when I stumbled across that men's rights section I was like are you kidding me so yeah there's some f-bombs and some cussing and I did break out the cocktails And you can probably tell, but it's just, oh, I was just that blown away. But I'm going to wrap up. Remember, send me an email, comingoutofthekitchenpod at gmail.com. And please make sure to rate and review me. Five stars would be great because maybe you liked all but a quarter of this podcast. If you rate me then other people can find the podcast and they can get this information too. If you don't rate me, I stay down at the bottom of the fishbowl. So, I just wanted to put that out there for you. But I can, I really need to hear some feedback. And I swear to you, if you email me, I am not going to sell your email address. I'm not tech savvy enough to do that anyway. So, and I'm not going to firebomb you with emails every day if I did you could always unclick following me um 
that's not my repertoire. I just, if you've got comments, questions, suggestions, ideas, I would love to hear them. Until next time, coming out of the kitchen, this is Cass. Good night.